city. It is this sprawling massive place miles and miles across. Been here as long as anyone can remember. Nobles play their power games. Guilds maneuver for money and influence. Dark things emerge from the shadows to hunt. And the lamplighters take everything in while keeping the darkness at bay. The thing I always wonder is why. Why do these lamplighters keep the darkness back? What investment do they have in Avalon? Streets of Avalon, an urban RPG setting by Brett Blazinski for the world's most popular role-playing game. Ask for it at your friendly local game store or head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash streets. Episode 341 of Gaming NBS being recorded Monday, May 10th, 2021! <laughs> Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back, everybody. Glad y'all are here. Sean, how the hell are you, man? I'm fantastic, Brett. How are you? Not too bad. I was. Uh, I had slept stupid, but being being 48, that hurts normally. Like, ah, oh, I slept funny and I hurt my back. But I did oh. something, and I remember waking up going, ooh, that hurts. It was my neck that hurt. I'm like, oh, that sucks. And for like... Five days afterwards, this <laughs> horrible shooting pain. It's just gone. Dude, we so, got we gotta we gotta make a vow. We gotta make so a I vow. I feel better. I feel better. We gotta vow not to become old guys before everybody, like in front of everybody. I can't help it though. It's just, I mean, I gotta talk. Dude. Now we're gonna talk about my lumbago and Let's my four one k. Start. <laughs> starting to sound like my grandparents I, hey i know hey, hey man how's it going oh you know i got this ache in my you know elbow <laughs> my knees actually i've got uh, um oddly enough just in case everybody does care i have a uh x-rays on thursday see how my necrotic bone is healing up so that's i'm interested good. hopefully it'll merged in that'd be good. nice or at least that's way to merging in fantastic What'd you game, man, since we talked last? Anything? Anything cool? Anything not cool? Anything good? Anything bad? What'd you do? What'd you do? Uh, Delta Green wrapped up. All done. Now it's on to the year 2013. Different characters. Thinking about uh, playing a female uh, female hacker, uh, computer scientist that has like some, a little bit of uh, neurotic. Uh, personality, I think. Okay, that's what I'm gonna. Um, that's the angle. Like, it's a very awkward. So there's no connection to the previous campaign at all. No. Uh, well, I don't know for sure. I mean, it. I don't know. Jimmy may just implement. Like the guys who are going through time. My understanding is they will not remember anything mm. from the adventure that or the scenario that Ian ran. So. Interesting. I, I don't know how this is. I don't know. So I think. Th- yeah. Th- so again, they just didn't want to re-roll characters every time mm. we change. So I'm sure all they're going to do is be there, and it'll be 2013, and he could probably work in their modern equivalent background. I mean, I, I don't even think they. Well, they based it on the uh, the ship that was Daldridge. Yeah. I don't remember what year that took place. Hmm. In the game. I'm going to be interested to see how the continuity holds together. I, I don't think we are banking on it. <laughs> I'm not. I, unless there's some, like, overarching 
thing. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like, is there something going on that Ian's got cooked up? And I don't, I don't think so, honestly. All right. Well, well, hey, if nothing else, fuck, dude, you're playing Delta Green. That's good. And game. then this week's going to be madness. What you got this week? Well, so because I double book Thursday, tomorrow night I'm doing Forbidden Lands with the crew. And then Thursday, you and I have Blades in the Dark with Third Floor Wars and Craig Shipman and Eric the Frank House. And then yeah. Saturday, I have Star Wars. <laughs> Damn, dude. I actually uh, <clears throat> I canceled. It was supposed to be. We had originally said it so that this Thursday was going to be my buddy's uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. The Underground Adventure. I'm like, oh, I can bail on that one session. It'll be fine. Um, but it turned out that we had to rearrange schedules a while back. So it was supposed to be my Greyhawk game on Thursday. I'm like, ah, sorry. I have another thing scheduled. Hmm. Get x-rays earlier in the day, and I'll be back in time to play this game, our, our Blades of Dark game, so that should be interesting. I'm very interested to see how that thing plays. It sounds cool. I mean, I've everything I remember about it, and I've talked to Frank House many times about it, and he loves the game, and I'm I know Shipman loves it. I'm I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. I'm just kind of curious as to what my impression will be of the mechanics and all that stuff once we're done. I know what it's going to be, but that's all right. <laughs> Ooh, think... secret everybody else has to find all out. Right. Yes, yes. I had, um, let's see, last week. Oh, it was my first edition AD&D Forgotten Realms game with my kids. That was a lot of fun. They found some funky magic items. So they were having a really good time with that. Um, <clears throat> it's a small dungeon crawl, and they've been doing some pretty smart gaming. We're like, okay, sneak up over here, you know, kind of creep in, figure this out, figure that out. So it's going, it's going really well. They're not bullying their way through. Next room, next room, next room. Open the door. What's this? You know, they're checking for traps. They're <clears throat> playing smart, and not like it's. <clears throat> excuse me, not like it's all about checking for traps and shit. But it's just like you know, when they have the opportunity to talk to things, they like talking to the monsters, talk to the NPCs, get data, get good information. So they're just getting more and more experience as the game. So it's a lot of fun. And then we had um, last week we did. Um, let's see. That's about it. And then, oh, this Saturday I should have a uh, Warhammer Fantasy, Fantasy Battles game in my place. Get my ogres back out. I'll fight one of Alpha's armies. That'll be fun. Good relaxing time. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. I, I like it. I'm sure it is. I, Warhammer has a special place for me. It does? Like what? I, I don't know. Like a thing you just don't care about? No, that's not true. I mean, I there was a part of me that wanted to go whole hog into it, but I just, I didn't. And um, I'm glad I did not because I don't play and I probably wouldn't play. I'll tell you, man, I had um, miniature war games. Unless you have people you can play with on a regular basis, yeah, it can be a very lonely pursuit. You have to like collecting and painting and modeling and doing that type of thing, which I enjoy to a point. But if I like doing it for a purpose, like, hey, I got some, like I said, I got some new Yetis. Yay, which are for my Ogre Army. Really cool. And uh, I get to paint those. That's fun. I like doing that. But I have a purpose for them. Ooh, I paint these Yetis. I get to use them in my army and I get to try this new tactic, blah, 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 blah. So it's fun. But otherwise, uh, there was a point, though, when I was playing and then I wasn't able to play regularly. Or very often at all, and it just totally lost its luster for me. Like, man, I don't know if I care anymore. And I just stopped buying minis and stopped painting because I didn't really have a purpose for it. So I get it. Totally get it. 
Anything else, man? Oh, wait. Wait a minute. Let me let me think about this. You did a how-to RPG recently, did you not? I did. I thought it was all right. I, I don't know. If, yeah. Yes, I did, Brett. What did you do it on, Sean? I did it on uh, Forbidden Lands, your zero engine mechanic, essentially. And if I think if you grok it a little bit, you'll understand a little bit of Coriolis, a little bit of Asin, because... Okay. And Alien and Tales from the Loop, because they all use a very similar system. They just tweak it for each game. So I did it on Forbidden Lands, since that's what we're playing. And yeah, people have checked it out, and I appreciate it. Thank you. You know who you are. So yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. I'm looking for something that I need for later on. We should I probably move on. You can read the first one. I gotta find this. Let's get into, I need this. I need this document. I need this thing. Let's get in a random encounter while Brett does some uh, work. quick research. Oh, thank God, there it is. Okay, I'm like, I need this document. All right. Oh, there we go. okay. Gotcha. Woo, found it. Uh, random encounter segment in the show. Refill emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Mm-hmm, Jared mm-hmm. Rasher comments. I just say no. Just say no. Oh, oh God. What I do wrong now. I think this discussion kind of encompasses multiple topics. Some of which aren't exactly saying no as much as reaching a consensus. For example, if you, as Game Master says, I don't want to use Ancestry X or Class Y because reason. And the player says, I think Y actually fits because reason. That's a discussion. And while the player desires are more important... The game master is also... I, I, no, he didn't say more. Oh, did he say? Did he not say more? While the player desires are important. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I like more important anyway. Distinction. <laughs> I think it's important. Okay, that's fair. Carry on. Carry on. Uh, it, where am I? That's, while the player desires are important, the GM is also a player at the table that needs to enjoy the game as it, and is an important voice. The GM needs to represent their ideas, but should probably be open to discussion of their reasoning. Discussing player actions and consequences is also maybe not really about no, but about making sure that everyone is clear about what is about to happen. Sometimes this discussion isn't just about your character wouldn't do that because ultimately that is the player's choice. But what the game master and other players have a say in is do we want the campaign to do this, go this direction? Do this direction. Oh, God. <laughs> go this direction? If someone is about to kill someone and the whole team would become criminals on the run, that's something to have a meta discussion about, which isn't even about would you do this and is more about are we okay with one player changing the paradigm because how they want their character to act. Related but different is a safety discussion. I'm going to torture this captive. I really don't want to be at a table where this is going to be an option. I'm uncomfortable with this. While it's a no, it's a no about someone saying that they may not be emotionally or mentally okay with addressing a topic in a game, which is different than just discussions about genre emulation or even storytelling trajectories. Like the game master that says what rules will and won't get used, this is something you can at least start to address in a session zero, by establishing lines and veils, but without the negotiations you can't you can have for rules. If that person isn't comfortable with the topic and you want them at the table, you can't include the you can't include that content. 
Then there is the very simple yes and no that GMs have to adjudicate. If I throw a dagger at the barrel of unstable alchemical materials, can I get it to blow up? No. You still need to apply fire or some kind of catalyst. Can I throw my gun to another player in such a way that they get to fire it because I hit their finger, but I'm rolling my throwing skill to attack, but I get their bonus to gun damage? No. <laughs> That's funny. My answer to the first question, can I throw my dagger at the barrel? I'd be like, ah, you can try. I wouldn't say no to that, but sure, try. Clunk. Nothing happens. God damn it. And somebody else would say, oh, I, I light it on fire. Does that work? Yeah, there you go. Kaboom. So I think Jared's got some good points here. I think what's interesting is, I mean, this is a this is the uh, the bad part about this format, Sean, and that Jared's not here. I've had many discussions with Jared in person and um, online in person and in literal in person at gaming cons and stuff. I would argue with Jared or ask for better clarification because when if someone says, look, I'm going to kill this person, my character, I'm, I'm, they're going to kill him. And everybody stops and has a discussion. Do we want the campaign to go in this direction? Blah, 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 blah. That's essentially everybody telling that person potentially no. And that person saying, well, this is what my character would do. You know, that, that unassailable defense, apparently, that some people like to use. <laughs> um, it's not unassailable, by the way. Spoilers. Uh, it's It's interesting because you can, there's... I think that kind of that example is basically or not basically it's similar to what you and I are trying to get across is that sometimes there's a whole room full of people that need to say no to something for whatever reason. Like, dude, if you do that, this is going to happen. I don't want to play that fucking game. I don't want to play a game that our characters are on the run all the time. Stop it. You're not killing that paladin. You know, you don't get to kill Princess Leia. I'm sorry. That's not how this works. Um the other one that what's interesting to me is anytime I've had a lines and veils discussion and safety stuff, and maybe then this is perhaps another topic. And Jared, what brought this to my mind is when you said, if that person isn't comfortable with the topic and you want them at the table, you can't include it. And you said, it's, you know, you, there's no discussion. Every time I brought up, there's always been a discussion. Someone says no torture, like, but what if it's an evil person? No, no torture. People will pressure each other to give in on things you want to say no about. And I think that is a case when other players, we need to check ourselves if we're putting pressure on somebody and they say, look, I just, I, I can't deal with, you know, infant, you know, I can't have de Brett's dead babies. I can't, I can't deal with dead babies. No, 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 no. Well, what if it was, the answer is no, there is no, what about how close can I get to the edge before you quit? That's not, the, the point of that. The point is this person saying, none of that, please. And you say, okay, as a group, and you either say yes or no. So, Jared, I like the fact that you brought that up because every time I've had the discussion, I've had to um, arbitrate the discussion insofar as to tell people, no, we, we don't get to discuss how far I go before I push Sean to the point where he is crying at the table or quits or says, fuck you guys. We don't get no. You know, it, it's a hard no. And I think that's, we have to respect that with people. And I think that's a, that's a piece where we don't have the discussion. And on, for whatever reason, whenever I've had it, a discussion tries to break out and I do my damnedest to squish it. Because that's one of those cases where hard no's or yeses are pretty much the only way to really go. Because I don't want to, 
I don't want to find out what it takes to make this person so uncomfortable that they squirm, but not enough that they quit. <laughs> that's not right. That's not fun. You know, not fun for the person squirming. That's terrible, you know. And I do I do think there is um the saying no component, Jared, it does have a lot of um discussion components. But I think what's interesting is to start sometimes with no. Being open to getting past no to yes, which I, I think we tried to, I know we tried, we may not have opened up quite as nicely as you did here, Jared, but the point is that sometimes you've got to say no, if nothing else to say, look, I don't want Dragonborn in my game, so the answer is no. And someone wants to discuss it with you and say, yeah, but what about blah, 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 blah. That's okay. The discussion can be there. And sometimes the answer is still no, even after the discussion, right? And I think there's... There's pieces there where a discussion, the other thing we need to be cautious about, similar to the safety component, is sometimes that you can discuss with Brett all day long, but the answer is still no. You could discuss with, you know, Ange all day long, and the answer for how come you can't do this in her bubblegum shoe game, the answer is still no, right? Yeah, but what about no, right? And that's and that's got to be legit. And again, you don't have to play in that group, then you could say, I don't like this. Yep, don't don't play then. <laughs> you know, it's like Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, but I want to argue every time I lose sanity. No, you don't get to do that. Well, but no. So, I thought this was a good reply, though, Jared. Thank you very much. Always good and insightful. And uh, I think you brought up a really good point, especially around the safety piece. It's a hard no or hard yes. There's not a lot of... That's not something we should be discussing. Uh, and then trying to figure out where to... How far you can push somebody. That's... The, it's a terrible way to make friends, you know, at your table or in general, actually in life. Anything else you want to say on that, Sean? No, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Moving on. Count Stradzi comments on wild. hate. Oh my gosh. He's going back. I played in a D and D game, a D and D next game before the release of five E. And after that, we played through the two tyranny of dragons adventures. Over that time, my opinion is, while there is a few issues here and there, the rule set is pretty solid. If you play using old school rulings over rule style, it works. Now, given we've played a lot of other games since then, Starfinder, BX, Solomon Kane, Call of Cthulhu, AD&D First Edition, etc. Even though 5e is almost seven years old, it still feels pretty new to me. At our upcoming game weekend in June 1st, I plan to DM my first 5e game set in a medio jungle in Greyhawk. Oh my gosh. It might be... So <laughs> I might have some more opinions of the system after that. That's pretty cool. Good for you, Strahd. Pull out the Greyhawk, throw him in 5e. I got to say, it is interesting. I, I love the fact that he calls out that it's seven years old. He's like, oh, fuck yeah. That's seven years old, man. And we still talk, well, the, the new D&D game. That's how, when does it become the old D&D game, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's seven I, years old, man. I comment. I commented to Strahd and said, hey, you know, uh, I don't think it's a bad system. Never, I never thought 5e was a bad system. I think it's a good no. system. It's just, it's D&D, &D, and that's not where my head's at right now. And, you know, I'm glad they are. Um, I don't know if it's their first dungeon master experience with 5e or just this you know the the greyhawk setting i did ask scrod um if, if why why they picked uh greyhawk just out of curiosity because i don't i don't know maybe, no. maybe maybe it's to gauge their age i don't know it 
That seems very shallow. Oh, it, is me. it? No, no, no. It's an interesting question. Oh, what'd you pick that for? Why'd you pick Greyhawk? Did you run it in first edition? You want to see how it plays in fifth? You know, you want to try different things? Da, 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 you know? Yeah. It's kind of cool. I But it would interest me if it was somebody that was younger that was wanting to run Greyhawk. And the only reason I would find... The big reason I would find that interesting is because it, everybody I run into that deals with Greyhawk, they're over the age of 40, 45, right? Yeah, yes. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with it. It's just no. an observation. Like, and oh, it, yeah, because some of us grew up with it, and there yep. hasn't been a Greyhawk supplement since... Second edition. No, oh, actually, no, no. third. So actually, be third edition. I have the third edition, yeah. three old one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third yeah. edition is uh, where... It the Gazetteer, right? Yep, I have the yeah. Gazetteer. Yeah. Yep. So, and then, then you get the Living Greyhawk stuff, but... Yes, 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 yes. I was just curious. Anyway, one of the things I, I think I think you said it here, and I know we have said it as a group before, is that five E from a an, a an approachable version of D anD D. It is incredibly approachable. It is actually, in my opinion, I think, not counting BX Redbox that version of D anD D. Talking about A D anD D, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, and then three O, three five, three O, blah blah blah. I think this is the most approachable. And it's really solid. I really think it is. <clears throat> Whether you like certain aspects, oh, I don't like the the this rule. Oh, I think they're. I don't like this. I think the characters are too blah or wah or whatever your your, your gripe is. Which we all have gripes about everything because we're gamers. That's that's part of our hobby is griping. <laughs> Sean's looking at gas. I'm anti gripe. Twenty twenty. I'm anti gripe. Twenty twenty one. I think it's really solid. It really is. It's a it's a it's a good game system. I think it does really well. I think it's one of the better, and I've said this before. I better think it's iterations. one of the better iterations, or the best iteration of D anD D. Yes, that's right. I said it here. You bet. Uh huh. Go ahead. Send in. Send it in. <laughs> the best, really. Heard it here from Sean. It's just not what I want to play right now. Whether it's the the best iteration or worst iteration of D&D, I just don't want to play D&D, honestly. Right? At, at this moment, as we're sitting here in time talking, if you listen to this past this date... Which is May 10th, 2021. Then it's fair. Anything goes. Anything could happen, man. I could change my mind. I could change my mind right now if I wanted to. Well, there's a point... Speaking of that, I mean, there was a point I, I talked about when we talked about World of Darkness, where I played that for 15 years. I really didn't play anything else. Crazy. That's all I wanted to play was White Wolf games, man. That was it. You know? So, hey, happens. All right. Thank you, Count. Over to you, sir. Phil comments on horror, horror, tension, suspense. The most recent episode got me thinking about a comment regarding player agency. Doesn't there have to be a willingness to concede some level of agency as part of the immersion in horror role-playing under certain circumstances? <clears throat> Maybe I'm misunderstanding the context of it. In Call of Cthulhu or Vason, coming into contact with things that go bump in the night may or may not generate some level of horror-related emotion for the player. In the game, the player character is another matter. Sanity rolls may result in temporary insanity, and Vason failing a fear roll requires the player character to become terrified. The player must choose between fleeing, freezing, fainting, or attacking the, claw, the cause of the fear for 1d6 rounds. 
would that be considered a loss of agency since they have to perform certain actions and lack the freedom to do what they really want to do? I don't. Thoughts on that? So I believe I responded to this. On, you did. And I'm going to say, try to paraphrase what I said there. So I believe that it comes more to the forefront in horror because we're not scared. We as a player often are not scared or we're like, okay, we've played other games. We're like, well, I'm supposed to be able to investigate this thing. You know, for some reason, horror games, it comes very much to the forefront when people talk about it. And horror itself, I believe Sean and I touched on this enough, horror itself can have the loss of agency as a part of the type of horror, the fear, body horror, existential horror. It's a loss of agency. Nihilistic horror of the Cthulhu mythos. It's like it, it, nothing matters. <laughs> it's a horrible loss of agency. Now, that said, D&D has loss of agency. Any spell, that charm, suggestion, hold person, um, fear effects, uh, many fantasy role-playing games and other games have loss of agency effects that we slap on people on a fairly regular basis. Oh, but a lot of players hate it. Oh yeah, they totally hate it. But charm they go, person. They go, oh, well, that, that fucking this last uh, this last Saturday. I, oh, I forgot we played Rage of Demons on uh, Saturday. And anyway, so my buddy's little fucking cobalt sorcerer um, got charm nasty, and uh, he was starting to drop fireballs in a party. And I'm like, that's it, disintegrate. He's like, ooh, if you don't kill me, I'm doing that next because he had the spell as well. I'm like, no, you little fucker. So we almost killed him. Because of it, it was nasty. Right? Oh boy, that was good. Well, thank God he came out of that one in time. Otherwise, we're gonna kill the little bastard. Players hate it, and I get it. But there's a piece in there. Whenever I play D and D, ah, damn it, I'm charmed, and they go with it. They don't like it, but they're like, ah, it's a conceit. It's part of the spells. It's part of blah. Well, oh, some drank. people like it too much. Some people get really weird. Yeah. They are like, oh, I get to attack Sean. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm a little creepy that way. Um, I'm kind of like that sometimes. So, dragon fear was a thing that was introduced in D&D &D a while back. Like, hey, you see a dragon? Fucking terrified. Run away. Oh, You know, the, 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 the Tarrasque scream roars at you. Fear, you're frozen. Horror games, so point being, and I can, I know, let's see, Midlith Roleplaying had it, uh, lots of other role playing games had it, I can go down a list, of things that take away your agency by impacting you with a temporary effect. And one of the things that I've started to use to great, to great effect with players is who have other role playing game experience to say, hey, it's no different than Charm Person, Hold, Fear, suggestion you know whatever it's it's a similar thing think of it like a spell effect from the creature the thing it's not you know it, it's just a thing that it does you know there are games when you see a horrible thing in vampire you'd have to you know ma make a willpower check or you'd have to make a humanity check you'd have to check against something to see if you would have a an effect that you don't want to happen to occur all sorts of things happen like that right you could say, well, you're, you're climbing a wall. Roll your climb skill. You fall. Yeah, yeah, but my character wouldn't fall. He's really good at climbing. Sorry. You fell. Some, I, mean, I could argue that. It'd be a weird argument, but I could probably get, a, get away with it. But anyway, point being, I think that it's not much different. Horror brings it out, though, because 
you're usually in a horror game not doing anything fantastic or super heroic or even heroic in any format until you're like, oh my god, it's a deep one. <laughs> and you shit your pants and you go temporarily insane. You're like, ah, oh, crap. I didn't even get a chance to shoot at it. I, I didn't get a chance to do that. Yeah, I know you went temporarily insane or you went completely insane over the cases. It can be a little, it's more impactful because that loss of agency is more in your face on a more regular basis. Yeah. I think. Is that yeah, fair, Sean? Do you think? Yeah, you kind of, I mean, hopefully you can instill fear in the player because if they don't, if they don't roll well, they're going to lose agency, which is well, like <laughs> part of the fear. Exactly. And nothing else that this is, which is why horror players in a horror role-playing game tend to turtle up a lot. Yeah. Not going outside, not right. reading that book, not talking to the old man. Right. right. No right. way. No. Oh, yeah. yeah. You hear a sound over here. Sounds good. Go the other way. Walk away, walk away from <laughs> <I> that. <laughs> yeah, but the lady on the street corner with the moldy old tomes and she's got an answer. Yep, don't care. Moving on. Right. right. What, what do you want to do? Don't care. They're yeah. shooting at you. Run away. <laughs> <laughs> It can happen. Yeah. So I think that's um, that's a piece. You know, when um, the other thing with a lot of horror games in my mind is it's heavy on the investigating, less on the fighting of the mythos of the horror. You're not necessarily fighting the horror. You're trying to figure out a way to circumvent, stop, abort the horror's mission, send it back where it came from. You're not normally physically battling it in D and D are. So you're battling the horror. Then the lich says, "Fear!" Like ah, crap. Now we're afraid. Son of a bitch. Oh, we got to knock that fucker down, you know. But it's there's um, it's temp it's very temporary in those cases. But again, that's kind of that's my thought on that anyway. Phil, I hope that helps. And I wasn't uh, I wasn't trying to be dismissive with that, man. So if there's if you got more questions, whatever, hit me with it. Yeah, you good, Phil. You good, man? I'm good. All right, let's move on. You good? I think so. Hey, are you good? I'm totally good. All right. Main topic, main topic. Yeah. Talking Ready? about Simbaroom. Yes. I'm going to name my first kid Simbaroom. You better get on that. <laughs> name your next cat Simbaroom. There you go. Oh, there's an idea. Not a bad call. I speak a cat name. Yeah. Maybe dog. <gasps> Big wild tiger cat. <laughs> Simmeroom. Simmeroom. Yes, that would be, that would be yeah. cool. So Todd Crapper had asked me this online at one point, and it's a good question. I hate the phrase elevator pitch. Hey, and that is what? Give it to me in an elevator pitch. Give it to me in an elevator pitch. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the reasons I hate that is because when I used to do project management for a living, uh, I would always have some executives tell, well, I've got to give me the elevator pitch in this project. Why, why do we need to do this? And me being me would be like, well, you don't have to do it. Really? Well, I mean, if you want the network to fall apart, sure. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, if you like the firewalls to collapse on themselves and all commerce stop and yeah. this company collapse, yeah. I cannot do this project. Oh. oh, wow. Oh, my God. Now suddenly they're very interested, which is probably in itself a, the inverse of the <laughs> elevator pitch or something. I don't know. I think, <clears throat> damn it, excuse me. Simba Room, from an elevator pitch perspective, is about wilderness exploration. It's about a bunch of people that have fled from a horrible war. They're rebuilding 
in a new land north of where they were, and they're exploring the world around them. It's an age not only of exploration, but of um, political and religious turmoil within that whole space, and also conflict with um, the different peoples that were here before you arrived. You have the natives of the area, the people who live in the forest, and the other peoples around you that there's, it's all about that kind of conflict. So part of it reminds me um, to the westward expansion in America. In the U.S., hey, we're going to push west because Manifest Destiny, here's a really good idea. Oh, we need resources. And there's just, yeah, there was, gratefully so, there's a whole bunch of uh, people who were here first going, whoa, whoa, kind of live here, you pack of dicks, you know. So there's also plenty of uh, fantastic elements to it. Uh, lost civilization and all of that stuff where you get to, you're finding clues and there's all sorts of cool th- shit going on. So I, I see it kind of as uh, it's a lot about exploration and digging up what's going on and everything from a politicking perspective. This is a terrible elevator pitch, by the way, Todd. So I apologize but from a pilot <laughs> from politics perspective. One of the things I liked about it is that everything is fairly new. The queen who's in place, the way that um, the, the people are operating and, and so on. It's all fairly new. There's ancient things, the Iron Pact, where the elves in the forest can't stand humans and so on. That's old, but it's still poorly understood because every, the, the history here, is, it's like fresh. All the political history is very fresh. The war just ended. You have plenty of people around you who remember the, you know, remember fighting in it or had their lost their friends or loved ones or had to fight their friends and loved ones who became undead and had to deal with that and so on and so forth. So it's very, very fresh, which is cool to me because there's everything that's happened, all the powerful NPCs, the cool names you hear, they're not long gone. They're still here, right? These these folks are, are uh, fresh off of what just happened. So to me, as a game master and somebody who likes lore and such, I see that as a really cool opportunity for my players to get engaged, hook up with these NPCs if they so wish, and... Get involved in the machinations. They could probably, depending how well they do, politically throw down with some of these folks. They may be able to get involved in all sorts of different pieces and parts because it's all new and how the how this new civilization is coming together. So does that sound interesting to you at all, Sean? The whole game has sounded interesting to me. And I maybe I don't know, maybe that's maybe a game I would run in parallel with you, Brett, depending on oh, okay. how to right. immerse myself. But um it does. It's always, it's been intriguing, but because I wasn't so, you know, okay, well, I don't really want to play D&D right now. Mm-hmm. D&D is fantasy. I'm playing Forbidden Lands, but it's not the same. So I was kind of like, Simbaroom was on the periphery of my interest. You know, Makes sense. It, it's a good publishing house. They put out some quality product. So by nature, I was interested in the game in that regard, but you know, picking you know, what's it up funny and- is uh, what made me get the game was the fact that you picked up Forbidden Lands. I started looking around at Forbidden Lands, like, huh, oh, yeah, what's this game again? I've heard about this game. I started reading about it, talked to, um, talked to a few people on the forums and over in our Discord. I'm like, hmm, Harrigan said some cool things about it. A few other people said, oh, I've seen that. I like that. Like, All right, so fine. 
and I picked up the the quick set, the quick guide, free, right? Mm. Hey, let's check this out. And that was the thing that sold me because, ooh, I can get this for free. Now, when I read it, one of the questions that Craig asked me here was, how well do the mechanics hold up the desired theme and feel? I think they do a pretty damn good job. And one of the things I was worried about, quite frankly, when I picked up the quick guide, and I've seen this with other quick guides, is like, okay, this is going to be a slimmed down version of the rules, man. Right, this yeah, is not they're gonna not going to be everything, yeah. And it's not going to be an ass, not going to be as deep. It's, it's damn near all there. Hmm. I mean, there are some specifics about um, um, some of the different races, the groups, the people, right? The, the different folk in there and some specific types of things. But the core rules are the core rules. I mean, they're like whack. It's much like the five E approach to core rules. If you pick up the five E core rules for free, you can play a five E game that night. Yeah, it's funny how mechanics and rules aren't aren't. Some companies may covet them, right, and only release it in the book. But yes. unless it's intellectual property involved, it's anybody can yeah. really take them. Yeah, and yeah, because you can't. As as we learned by Monopoly and Wisconsinopoly and Philadelphiaopoly and all the other opolies out there, you you can't patent that shit. Um, well, the other things that really grabbed me, and we've talked about art in RPGs before, but is is the art. I love it. The individual who they have doing the uh, the artwork on it, um, the style that they have is really really good, and it reminded me of a. Some other um, art I'd seen. There's a Polish artist. Shit, I'm forgetting his name. But he did uh, art for the Scythe um, world. It's a war game and other things with that. And he does really good work. I saw this. It's got this kind of, uh, it's got a dark, gritty. I'm like, ooh, this feels like Avalon, but in the wilderness. This is kind of cool. It's new. It's different, you know, uh, to me from mechanics and, and the, the lore is neat. But the art was really, really evocative to me. Um, it does. It bespeaks things that say, "Hey, this creature. When you see it, it looks freaky. It does not have the classic D and D surrounded by orcs. It doesn't have. It looks. Everything is dark, mysterious. You'll you'll have a wonderful, beautiful picture of like these small figures with this massive stone monolith in the background, and somewhere there looks like something like a demon up up top, maybe, or they'll be in the woods, and there's it's just big." You know, it, it, a lot I of big woods, it, big trees. Yeah, big trees, big just trees. gigantic stuff. Yeah, and it's. I think they did a wonderful job telling you how small you are compared to the the massive mysteries and things you're going to investigate, and even the cities and how they they laid out those images. So the the city's constantly under um, the main place is constantly being built and rebuilt as they're adding on and more refugees show up and they're expanding and contracting and trying to figure out what to do with everything. It, it's just constant flux. And you get that feeling when you're looking at it. It's really cool. So it has, it's dark, no two ways around it. And that might not be something for some folks. I know a number of different gamers are like Brad, I get it. You're grim dark. That's cool. Good for you, buddy. But I like heroes. And I like very clear lines or I like four color supers or I like uh, a brighter outlook type of thing. This game is not that, right? Um, <clears throat> the player-facing mechanic, Ghost GM asked me this, do I think it's needed or if it adds an overall experience to the game? I think I've yet to play it, right? So I'm going to come right out and say that. However, 
one of the things I really like about the way that they have done the player facing mechanic again, how that works in a bit is that by making it player facing for my gaming group, I see it is really, <clears throat> it's going to impact the way that they interact with everything. It's going to change the way they pick a fight, whether they want to fight, do they run or not run? How hot are your dice tonight, Sean? Well, um, thank God it's a roll low game because uh, my dice are pretty hot. I think we could take the troll. Cool. You ask Zave, and he's like, wow, um, my dice are cold. I'm rolling 15s it up, man. Uh, I don't really want to go take on the troll. Because if the troll swipes at me, I have to roll the dice to see what happens to me. Right? So depending what's going on, my dice aren't hot. I don't have to fudge dice. I don't have any of that. I can give you, I'm going to give you pluses and minuses. I'm going to give you stuff and we're going <clears> to <throat> have this wonderful, cool narration together. But that power of how that functions is in your hands and uh, player facing dice is, has always been fairly interesting to me, but the way this game is doing it feels more natural to my style of gameplay. Huh? So uh, that makes me interested in it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think to, uh, to answer ghost GM's question, could I do a traditional approach of both sides rolling? Yeah, I could. I think you could easily take the rules and say, I'm going to roll dice because I, as a game master, want to roll my dice. And that's just how it is. And that's how my group likes it. I think you could totally do that. Well, I think we could totally do it. They got a 5e version coming out. So yes, I got to imagine do. that it's going to keep the core <laughs> rules of fifth edition and turn every all the flavor into Simbaroom. Yeah, so. I'm... Someone asked me if I was at all interested in it, and I'm not. The reason I wanted to get this was because it was not D&D, &D, not only from the setting perspective, but the mechanics. One of the challenges I have with my gaming group, or even myself, is if I'm running in a fantasy game, fantasy setting, it's using D&D &D rules, right? If, I don't know, it just feels a lot like D&D &D to me, much similar to Sean's thing with... Uh, Forbidden Lands. You're playing Forbidden Lands because it's not D&D. &D, it has a different feel. And I really want this. My group, my gaming group, I can sell them on first edition gaming, second, third, you know, fifth, whatever, Pathfinder. We could play Avalon. We know my Avalon setting well enough. Everyone, they get right in the zone. Greyhawk, they get it right in the zone. Um, a 5e setting, we're in the zone. Whatever it is we're, we're playing, we got it. If when Alpha's running Rage of Demons, whoa, it's fifth edition by the book. Okay, we're good. Simba Room, if I said, hey, here's a new setting, and it also uses that, I don't know. I think the cognitive dissonance might be a little tough on my crew. It's a good, and I it, don't, it's a good, uh, it's a good bridge if you have a group that's probably set on only fifth edition. So instead of, I mean, so instead of taking the leap all the way over to Simba Room as a, taking oh, out totally, a completely yeah. new game you just use the setting yep. um the fifth edition version that comes out i i would i could see that i could see that potentially coming about in in a group i would propose it for they may just say but at the same time they'd probably buy the fifth edition <laughs> fifth edition players guide mm. of Simbaroom, but and that would be okay but they may not. They may have adversity to buying the Simbarum native game <laughs> core rulebook. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's something to be said for learning a new system, right? 
There is. It, then that's one and of the some people, big, and some people, a lot don't of people like don't it. want to. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to, and I do not blame those who do not sure. want to. Right. Some people love the mastery of it. We've talked about that many times, and some people, quite frankly, just don't have the time. Right. Or the group isn't interested. They're having fun doing what they're doing. They've got ten systems or two or one system that they grok and they get, and it's fine. But I really wanted to learn something different here. Yeah, no, and that's like, good. I'm glad like you're. Racing. It's been a while since you've delved into anything new. I think the newest thing before this for you was Gumshoe. Gumshoe was was newer for me. Yep, and uh, Delta Green, but I've already played Delta Green before. It's basically just a Call of Cthulhu version. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, something different. Yeah, good. The other, um, Swick asked us, Joe Swick asked, you know, what I was most forward to reading about, um, what made me want to pick it up. I think I answered that from the art and the setting perspective. I really wanted to understand um, how they were tying the setting into the mechanics because I've heard that from <laughs> Harrigan and a few other people. Like, hey, it's really tied together, hard to tear it apart. I'm like, well, I kind of want that. I kind of want to feel like it's not bolted in. So when I run a D&D game, if I'm running Curse of Strahd, oftentimes I have to, I don't mind my toolbox games where I guess, hey, okay, now we're going to use this, not this, this, but that, and this, except for on Tuesdays, and then a full moon. Got it. Okay, that's how we're going to play D&D today. Sometimes that's wicked fun. Other times is wicked fun to have a game that's really um, much more uh, curated to an experience. So I'm like, okay, this feels like it's going to, Give me a curated experience, but not give me some of the negatives that I get with some curated experiences, which I feel are too limiting. I don't like that. <clears throat> so I was really interested about that. Um, I'm actually tempted to uh, some of the Simba Room books I bought. Michael um, asked me this one about what kind of game I want to run and so on. I have a couple um, books are for a campaign series that they did. So I have some of those. And one of the interesting pieces is how they drip the lore through all their books. I'm tempted to take the pre-adventure in the back. And this is what I did with uh, Gumshoe the first time I ran um, Trail of Cthulhu for my friends. Is I took the, um, the Bookhounds of London, the adventure in the back, and I ran that. So I'm really tempted to do that here just because I don't want to fall into a trap of this is D&D or Avalon, or anything else. I want to make sure I use all the cool lore bits. Mm. And one of the ways for me to really do that, I really wanted to make sure... So, t- for example, when I, when I ran uh, Trail of Cthulhu, Bookhounds, I wanted to make sure it felt like Gumshoe. To do that, I'm like, I want to make sure I run it, quote-unquote, the right way, or so my, the crew really feels like Gumshoe. And I want this to really feel like Simba Room. And I think the best way for me to do that is to... Um, cut my teeth on a real Simber Room adventure. Even if it's a simple one and it runs like, wow, fuck, we got through that in one session. Awesome. I understand this. Let's read a little bit more. You know, then I, I can build off of that. I have plenty of experience in, in uh, and I think I'm quite good at crafting adventures and doing all this stuff, been doing it a long time, blah, blah, blah. I've not done it in this setting or with this system. And um, in D&D, I know enough core mechanics I could be like, wow, oh, fuck me. I, I got to drop the hit points on that troll. I'm going to kill everybody. In this game, I'm not rolling dice, man. If I give the troll the wrong bonus or I say, boy, that seems weak. Let's make it a five and I murder everybody. Eh, that's, so that's part of the other reason I want to run one that's in the book is because I'm going to get a real taste from the mechanics. 
how they're doing it. I could see how it really plays. Not a bad yeah. uh, option. Not a yeah, yeah. Kind of kind of thought that was. I figured what the hell. So one of the cool things that I think here from um, character creation, and this kind of gets in the system stuff. It's all tied together, honestly. The attributes they're doing, they have, um, they got a nice little chart. Well, I mean, you could get all this right out of the uh, the, the free uh, you know, quick rules type of thing. Attributes are accurate, cunning, discreet, persuasive, um, quick, resolute, strong, vigilant. And they have like, like sample actions like, hey, hand-eye coordination for accurate. Um, vigilant, detecting person or item, avoiding an ambush. Uh, resolute, succeeding to resist various spells, resist being influenced, and so on. I like good descriptions like that with examples because one of the things I do is I have that either printed out or I give this to I give it in one way, shape, or form to my players. So when they say, "Well, I, I, can I resist that?" I say, "Well, you know, what what attribute do you think?" And I, I feed that back to them, especially if they're going to be rolling their own dice. I want them to get familiar with this, and a quick, simple chart. That has the attribute list and example actions. I'm like, okay, that's gonna that's money for me right there. I think that's pretty cool. Um, all the races and traits are tied together. So what I mean by that is, if you are, if your character is a human, if you're a goblin, if you're an elf or something, if whatever it is you're doing or a ch- or a changeling. Your character has these wonderful um, things that said like long lived or short life. There, it's an evocative description, right? I think of them similar to reminded me a little bit of um, uh, merits and flaws from my old world, world of darkness days. It also brought to mind a little bit of feats, right? Where or even how five E is more descriptive. Um, instead of say get a plus one in your constitution and a minus two on your dexterity, you know. It would say resolute. It's got a really nice, a cool description that goes. And some of them translate through, you know, hey, the changelings are very similar to this, and this is similar to that, and so on. Um, so I thought that was pretty handy. I thought I thought that's pretty cool. Um, the way that they all they tie that together. The other piece here is let me do. So if you had, like, for example, this person is Ambrian, Ambria is the the main race, the people, the ones that came from the south across the mountains here. He's a trait of privilege. He's got his accurate. He's got his accurate of ten, cunning of nine, discreet of five, and so on. All these great stats, abilities. He has dominate as an adept. He's mad at arms, novice, witch sight of novice. You've got this novice, adept, master type of ranking as you go through your abilities. Your weapons. The other thing I really liked about this too reminded, harken back to my early BX type days, where it's like you have a sword. Unless it's a very specific type of sword, like a dueling blade or a two-handed sword. A sword is a sword is a sword, and it does D8 damage. Some of them are cool, like this dude's got a, a dual a dueling sword, which has a precise feature to it. Then there's a nice little description of what that can do for you. Um, your armor, he's got a uh, 1D8, which basically armor helps to soak damage, right? It doesn't necessarily make you easier, easier harder to hit. It uh, protects you. And then you've got your defense, your quick of 10, and your shield, blah, 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 toughness, your threshold, equipment, and so on. It's not that big of a character sheet, and it's got some pretty good information in it, I think. Um, what I really want to get to here was do, 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 do. Where is my... 
What do the numbers mean? Yes. Where's my damn number chart? Hold tight. I got this on a different document. <laughs> so, Sean, while I'm yanking this up here, is there anything that I've said that makes you go, huh? Like you don't like it or kind of going a little quick here, but. No, it's a. Uh... It's a game I'd have to pick it up and and read a, a bit about. I, I have a feeling if it's anything similar to Forbidden Lands and the lore, um, mm-hmm. I have an idea what I might be might be looking at for for that component. Um, I am interested in the mechanics to see how that kind of flows. Player facing, sure, okay, not good. I guess. You <laughs> could, you guess? Have well, you played, I mean, uh, have you played the, with heavy player facing mechanics before? Yeah, PBTA all day. Yeah, yeah but did you like it? I uh, Sure. I, I It didn't matter that's, to me because I have players game. roll. Does it matter to me? Because the players roll for all their shit anyway in most games, honestly. I mean, unless I'm attacking them as, as a monster and I'm a game master, sure. But if in, in this game you don't ever roll any dice because I just say they're attacking you. And this is what it what is used, and then you have to roll your defense or Not understand, right? So, all right. Well, let me go through a couple of other pieces here, real quick. So, instead of classes, you have archetypes. You've got warrior, right? And they, I've got the advanced players guide with some more options. And within warrior, there's a berserker, there's a duelist. There's you got your sub pieces: captain, cell sword, um, your knights. Then you've got mystics. So you've got witches. Um, do, 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 sorcerers, a theurge, which is kind of like your cleric and the wizard, self-taught mystics. So some good little pieces underneath it. And then the rogues, of course. So you've got your charlatans, your witch hunters, the thugs, treasure hunters, uh, ranger types. Let me get to, ah, yes. Yeah. So your attribute modifiers, this is kind of cool. So it's got a nice, again, a nice little chart in it where it says attributes and modifiers. If you have a value of 12, the modifier is minus two. So what I'm doing is when I'm looking at my monsters and I need you to roll under a number because it's all about rolling low on a D20. And it's all your regular dice, your D4, six, eights, tens, twelves, twenties. Um, the modifier chart just says, hey, this creature has a 12. So a 12 is a minus two. So check your... Check your stat at a minus two. No, click, you know, roll it and see if you can roll under. It's that simple. Again, not ru- I've not run it yet, but I don't see anything horrible happening here. Like, so if the character wants to sneak up on a guard, you test your character's discreet modified by their vigilant. So, okay, discreet by vigilant. If your discreet is 10 and my vigilant is a seven, which is not very vigilant, so that's a plus three. So 10 plus three is three, 13, both 13 are under. Hmm. If you have vigilance of, excuse me, you have your discrete of 10, but I'm uber vigilant of a 15, that's a minus five. So 10 minus five is five, roll under a five, right? Or you could r- subtract it off your die roll, however you want to do the minus five, right? But that's the type of thing you're looking for there. Uh, character gets uh, enchants an enemy. It's resolute, modified by the enemy's resolute. It's just simple checks and balances back and forth. Pretty simple. So I'm seeing that from my perspective, quick math, check on a chart. It won't take long to figure out that, oh, 
9 is plus 1, 10 is a 0, 11 is one, minus 1, 12 is minus 2, 13 is minus 3. Okay, I get this. It's easy math. This is going to be too hard. I suck at math, especially quick math. I'm not very good at. So things like this that roll pretty quick, I'm, I'm impressed with for me because it's going to make things go faster for me. Make sense? Does make sense. So, so they use the term races as opposed to um, um, ancestries and stuff. I know some folks don't um, appreciate the term races. Um, I don't remember when this game was written, but it's just the term they're using. Humans are the predominant one. You've got Ambrians, which are the, as I said, the people who came from the south up to up to the north. You have the Barbarians, which are the people that are here normally. They're the native humans. They're Changelings, which is the uh, kind of the traditional and elves stole a child and replaced it with this Changeling, this quasi-elven thing. Huh. Um, and you, when you read through these these races and you know changing looks human during childhood starts to develop more elf-like features a changeling's lot in life is usually a hard one since few of them are allowed to stay with their families and their true natures once their true nature has been revealed they're sometimes taken in by witches or wizards to serve as assistants most of them end up in the street where they have to fend for themselves as best they can exiled from human society the changeling wanders a long and lonely road often bitter and dark-minded in other cases frivolous and indifferent to the hardships of others that type of terminology and language is just, it's throughout. Hmm. You know, it's its tough. It's a rough place to live and so forth. Ogre is another one. Ogres are a solitary odd creature that basically they wander out of, uh, out of the forest of Dabakar, the, the big place everyone's trying to adventure into. They don't know anything about themselves until usually a goblin or somebody else takes them in, gives them a name and trains them. They don't even have a name. No one knows where they come from or what the hell. They're just odd creatures that show up. They're huge and powerful, but whatever, right? Goblins, they're these um, funky little dudes. <laughs> Your ogre names come from ugly, angry, old, gawky, heavy, big brute. <laughs> like names that they'll get, right? Just because of what they are. Goblins, um, goblins are, so some of their traits, as I was alluding to before, things like short-lived pariah, survival instincts. These are types of traits that they have of how they work and, and hang out in the, with, within. So it's kind of cool from that perspective. As I said, everything seems very evocatively tied. Um, again, with the skills, you've got novice, adept, and master. Uh, so acrobats, novice, adept, master, backstab, beast lore. The list of um, abilities, th those types of what I often would call skills, um, is not very long. Acrobatics, alchemy, backstab, down to wizardry. It's, it's this, I mean, it's maybe a three-inch chart on the book. It's not a massive invasive type of thing. And each one is pretty quick to get a hold. For me, anyway, when I read through it, I'm like, okay, I grok this. I get it. This is not that difficult. What it says on the tin is what's inside type of deal. Um, the way that they do magic, there's the, uh, the church of Prios is the big sun God church. It's kind of coming into its power. As I said, there's are there's, uh, issues with the religion in the area of people coming up. Then there's the witches, which are the barbarians, the old, um, ones, uh, the old faith, almost kind of a druidic, if you will. And, um, so a lot of conflict in that space. And then there's wizards. They have a wizarding school. They've got all the history, not all the history. They have enough history of everything in the core book that gives you enough hints of like, ooh, that sounds cool. What could that be? What could that be? What could that be? 
So one of the pieces that made me very happy with the lore was I did not feel like I had to do a massive Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk brain dump to really understand it. I could read this core book and I've got enough that I can grab the sample adventure and run with it. There's enough here that I could give it to my players and that when they say, well, this theurgy thing says this, what does that really mean? You want to find out? And then we can explore that type of thing. So there's enough gaps in there that I think are going to be exciting for my players and for me to see which ones they want to grab onto that I can work with. Fair? Fair. Cool. Fair. The mystic powers are <laughs> kind of... There's not a huge list of them, but they're pretty badass at higher levels. Like, you know, Brimstone Cascade. At a master level, the mystic unleashes a veritable storm of flaming and smoking energies. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, Cascade does the Cascade does one d twelve points of damage. The Mystic, you know, all the holy fuck, a lot of you know looking at the hit points and stuff. And you, wow, it's a lot of damage. This is kind of cool. It's a big area effect spell. But one of the other things you've got here is that the nature of the world and magic and so forth is corruption. There's there's things that can happen to you if you're casting spells and breaking things. There is a overriding theme or an underlying theme or probably a better way to say it, underlying is better of um, if you're going into nature to take things from it, which is what people are going to Davokar into the forest to trying to find out the uh, lost civilization of Simbaroom, what was left digging up old ruins, finding out treasures, um, arcane mysteries and so forth. As you're doing this and expanding and you're encroaching, it causes corruption. There's problems with that. Nature fights back and it can be kind of brutal. Right? So there's there's big serpents, there's dark things in the forest and so forth. But um, corruption is a serious problem. And it reminds me, for the fans of Dungeon Crawl Classics, you've got the corruption stuff with um, your wizards and so on. If you're playing with spells and bad chicken happen to you, similar bad chicken happen to you here. Sometimes it's temporary. And sometimes it's a little more agency violating. Be <laughs> like, oh, um, you are constantly hungry. Oh, look, you have this. Your eyes are red. Oh, look, you um, this horrible, nasty thing happens to you. Uh, it's got some bad stuff. And in, and the way the mechanics work, um, I'm going to gloss over some of this stuff. I think it's not so. It reminds me a lot of Dungeon Crawl Classics, where you know it's there. Like, hey, I could get some corruption, but I need to do this. It's not going to stop you from doing it. You're going to encounter it. It's going to impact you at some point in your character's progression. But it's not something that you would, um, well, I have, a, I have a spellcaster, but I'm too fucking terrified to cast any spells. You know what I mean? Mm. I, don't, I don't get that feeling from it, which makes me pretty happy. We'll see how it comes out in play, but that's kind of, that's, uh, that's the feel that I'm getting out of the whole thing. Do 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 do. I had a couple more pieces I want to grab onto here. Um, okay, so when I talked, when I mentioned I was going to buy this, Alex Cameron said, "Oh, it was kind of new. It was too too crunchy for me." And I'm like, "Crunchy, Alex? You play Five E? Come on, uh, is it worse than Five E or whatever?" And I, he didn't really have. He kind of said, "Well, it seems to have the combat for him seemed a little bit on the crunchy side." It really didn't seem to bother me that much. I have, um, like, okay, so you've got initiative, move and combat actions, defense, and damage. 
those are your four major components to combat. Again, they do a really good job, in my opinion, of producing a nice little chart. Holding up so anybody can actually, well, you probably can't see it. It's too much glare I'm off my iPad. But it, 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 it's not that bad. As far as I see it, the initiative, you've got long weapons, surprise, quick, vigilant, um, delaying your action. Your movement actions, you can move into melee, flank an enemy, move around an enemy. This is not designed where you need miniatures. It's very theater of mind focused and kind of the zones and that type. It doesn't really use zones. I'm, I'm thinking zones in my head, but it's very theater of mind oriented. And that's another thing that drew me to the combat idea is like, okay, I like that. Um, you don't have, this is not a game where you're going to have, in my opinion, if you're an adventuring group of four to six people go into Davokar on a mission You've got your explorer's license. You go in there. You're trying to find this ancient thing, and you encounter 15 elves. You stop and parlay because that's too many. This is not a game of big combats where the warrior is going to wade through 15 kobolds at some level, or you're going to fight 25 goblins, 16 orcs, plus the necromancer and his undead. It's not going to have that type of battling. That's how I see it. Um, your combat actions, you got your attack. Uh, activate ability, first aid, additional movements, you know, it's, and then all attacks made during the turn <clears throat> can met, be met with defense tests, as I said. The active, the effective uh, defense value is based on your defense minus your opponent's accurate. So if I've got a plus two on my accurate, and because I've got a really shitty uh, ability there fighting you, and you've got a defense of five, five plus two is seven, roll seven or under, right? It's not too bad. Weapon damage, you know, didn't you, you just figure it out and move on. Attacker determines whether the actual damage is higher than the target's pain threshold. If so, the target is either knocked to the ground or the attacker is allowed to perform a free attack. So the pain threshold is an interesting component here where it's if you do too much damage, it does a really nice job in my so far anyway. Again, I haven't played through it of when you're D&D has the um, you take so much damage, you die. Right, the massive wounds thing. Mass damage. I, Mass, yeah. I don't know if that's, that's, I think, an optional rule, actually. It, it used to be in Pathfinder, for sure. Like, if you took more than half yeah. of your hit points in one attack, you had to make a save. And if you failed the save, you died. Oh, it's not optional in 5e. It'll kill you flat. It's in, the, it's in a core book. Okay. It's in a player's handbook. Okay. I just don't remember the exact rules behind it. Anyway, the point is that a lot of having the like huge amounts of damage, and even my Warhammer First Edition had like, hey, if you get past the toughness of the character or you get past the wounds or whatever it was, you start to gain critical hits. It's a similar thing here where things get bad. Um, should the actual damage suffered be greater than the character's remaining toughness, the character's either incapacitated or dying. The player must make a death test each turn to see if the character survives or dies. All these die rolls are, again, being done by the player, and I think that's kind of cool, right? The player is also deciding, like, hey, with these pain threshold things, who gets knocked down, who gets pushed back? Um, what happens when the the troll attacks you? Did you knock him down? Does he get a free attack on you, or does he knock you backwards? How do you want to deal with this? You know, A lot of those decisions, some of those tactical and story-based things are on the in the player's hands, hmm. which I feel... For my group, is going to be a bit of a challenge. There's a couple of people who are not used to that level of uh, player agency where they can dictate a certain type of thing. But what's nice is that it's not a free-for-all, right? It's not the um, – I think some of them would have a harder time 
with, uh, and I know some other players I've talked to don't like the idea of the funky dice with uh, the Star Wars game and Genesis and such because it's so narrative and like trying to come up with something that everybody agrees. It's a limited number of things, either this or this. Which option do you want? And I think this could be a good gateway drug for uh, myself as well as some people in my crew to get more into <clears throat> those type of systems. They're like, oh, it does that, but it's broader. Now this is really on you, Sean, to explain to me what happened, right? That's not something that, uh, that we often do as my gaming group. So I'm kind of looking forward to giving that a shot to see how that functions. One of the things that I, <clears throat> I like about the setting as well, and like, this kind of comes in the, to monsters, comes down to elves. I like the fact that the elves are, they're a dark, mysterious force. They're not a Tolkien-esque type of elf. They're not a wonderful little fairy elf. They are a, um, they're mean when they need to be. They have, there's a thing called the Iron Pact, which the elves will tell the humans, like, look, look, this was signed by humans with us ages back. You are not allowed in the forest. If you come here, you die. Mm -hmm. That's the rule, right? Elves have different ages. They go through different phases of summer, winter, near summer, late. And it, it, it's really well, well described quickly, concisely. Um, but they're not friendly overall. They're not generally exceptionally like, oh, we're trying to help you or we're, we're happy, blah, blah, blah. No, they're, they're kind of dour and like, look, we're protecting the forest. This is our place. You are invading. They are the true native inhabitants is how they're seeing it. So that was kind of cool. I like the way that they explain, again, enough to make me really interested in the core rule, but give me some cool gaps like, ooh, what else could be there? The same with trolls. There's, um, they're big. They're kind of crazy. Rage troll is a term. They're, holy shit, what is that? There's these the scary types of things that, that um, you read about from a monster's perspective. You're like, wow, that's pretty cool. The lore in it, again, is, I think, very tight. And it leaves enough room for me to play. I don't know how um, Forbidden Lands is in the lore perspective, oh, but cool. it is it is it heavy? It's not heavy. There's a there's a lengthy timeline, and mm -hmm. I mean, some of it's not going to be relevant to the players because unless you you provide that in lore, mm -hmm. like literally lore in the game, um, and. That's the one thing about Forbidden Lands that I'm kind of, I'm not struggling with or tussling, but because of the blood mist and 300 years have gone by, you know, a player character knowledge, how would they know some of the things that, that some, that is in the book, you know, that's, yeah. you could read. And, um, you know, we have Dorm the Gray, who's a half-elf that may have done research in a local library, but you're assuming that, you know, there was that knowledge there prior to the blood mist. Because yeah, it's 300-year-old. <laughs> yeah. It's 300 years uh, irrelevant, perhaps? Somebody would have had yeah. to come and, and, you know, record that, and, and they would have understood that. Now, that also goes to the discovery of some of that info or through their travels they might may unravel that through conversations with people or that they meet or they come across the bigger town that does have some of those things documented but it's funny because a lot of it doesn't it doesn't have to come into play because it doesn't bear any or a ton of relevance you know the rust brothers they wander around and that's something to know about 
how they kind of came into existence. But I don't know if any of the player characters care about how they came into existence as much as mm. they exist. They're assholes. None of us like them. And so yeah. that's that's what's taken shape over all these years. I'll tell you, in Simbaroom, the way the lore is set, as I said at the top here, it's so fresh and so new. Everybody knows it. Sure. And one of the reasons, why would I do this adventure? Why would I go into Davakar? Why would I risk going into the forest? Because it's a good way to make money. Like, no shit, a good way to make money. Um, because otherwise, X, Y, and Z horrible thing could happen to you. Well, if I do this thing, um, whatever that thing happens to be, I could get a title. I could get some land. I could get something from this. You have a benefit. You have stuff you can, you can get out of it. And understanding the lore <clears throat> is pretty important in a way. And I think that the way it's does the way they wrote it up at the beginning i feel very confident when i sit down breeze myself back through it get my brain wrapped around it before i run my first game i think i can give a pretty good synopsis of what's what where things are why it is point at the map and say this 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 and this and that'll wow people plenty they're gonna go oh my god over the top i may even be able to do a little write-up for them pull some snippets out of my book but i think it's going to be enough that I can give them some good pieces to work with. I, I think with Simbaroom, Midnight has a certain appeal to me. Um, obviously, Forbidden Lands. I think the for whatever phase I'm going through, <laughs> there is something to be said about the suffrage of the setting. It, you know, there <laughs> Forbidden Lands. You know suffrage i don't know as much it's not it's not deep dark or anything like that however you're wanting to go out to i mean you're rogues and raiders in a mm -hmm. cursed land you know making your own fortune it says in the books and on the back of the box that somebody's not hiring you to go out on adventures to to help them it's you're going out on your own to make the claim so there's something to be said about for whatever reason, this is just the Sean thing. When I picture D and D, everybody's kind of okay. <laughs> kind of, everybody's kind of okay. Like, yeah. if I didn't go on an adventure and I stayed in town, eh, I'd be all right. I might be okay. Like, so, well, but cool when you're in that, Simbaroom or yeah. you're in Forbidden Lands or you're in, you know, insert like, you know, maybe even uh, Spyhander. Well, astonishing swordsman, sorcerer's hyperborea. You're in hyperborea, and there's like, look, you better get your shit together here, right? It, yeah. There's but, reasons for you to have to do stuff, right? Not just because, you know, the blacksmith's daughter was kidnapped. It's because you don't, yeah, I get what you're saying. You know what there, I'm saying? There's just this. The, the, uh, the lore is driving you towards a certain type of action. Yeah, I kind of, I don't want to be in town because. It sucks here. I, you know, whatever the reason is, I'm not going to amount to anything. And I'm tired of shoveling shit from horses crapping on the ground. And that's my job. I want to you know, go should... out and make something myself yeah. or, or it's doom and gloom and it's tied up into doing rising above. And I understand that there is a theme of good versus evil in D and D that is not lost mm. on me and that you are heroes and that you're trying to yep. overcome the big bad in a published adventure or somebody's own home setting. But when you talk about dark and grim, I don't have, 
the games that I typically play in 5e, D&D, don't fall into those buckets. Curse of Strahd, a little bit. Well, I'll tell you, man, one of the things I'm glad but you But it's not universal. Up. It's, no, 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 it's I'm Curse of Strahd and then you have yeah. D&D. Like, yeah, so in, in my streets of Avalon, one of the things I like about it is the way it's very, it's neighborhood focused. It's, you know, they're, you're adventuring locally with potential global knock-on effects of what you do. You're adventuring very local and things are happening. It could have bigger effects or impacts and so forth as you make your name or as you deal with problems in your neighborhood and you 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 help or harm or you have your own goals. Well, the cool things that Simbroom has as well, and I'm glad you brought this up because I, I almost forgot, is your character has a goal. Goals could be restore your family honor, become a leader of the guild chapter and organization, retrieve a lost heirloom or weapon, lift a curse that has fallen on a character or someone else, find a missing person. The other thing it talks about very specifically is a group's goal. What is the group as a whole trying to do? This is kind of the whole, why are you, why are you together, right? Lead a large group of people to safety, establish an organization, obtain more land, ships or wagons, overthrow a leader, lift a curse, um, fulfill a prophecy, find a legendary artifact or site, form an alliance with another faction, mediate peace between two fighting parties. You know, those are examples, but there's, as you build your character, there's room on the sheet that says, look, what's your goal and what is your group's goal? The two don't always have to be, you know, locked together. It could simply be like, look, I'm here because this group is going to get me closer to the person I need to kill, I hope. Or I'm here because I need experience so I can do blah. And this idea of the individual goal, I think, is really cool. And it's one of the things I loved about my vampire games and I really like about my Avalon's my Avalon games is that what's your character's goal? What are they trying to do? Yeah, shit happens. You get thrust into action. But every time I run a decent Avalon campaign, everyone else has a goal, something they're trying to accomplish. So in those instances between action, when they've got a moment to breathe, they go check on their mom. They check on their girlfriend. They check on their boyfriend. They check on their kids. Something's happening, right? So in Simba Room, if you're looking to accomplish something, you're going to make friends. You need to do, you have a goal. You've got something you need to figure out. So when the opportunity comes, me as Game Master looks at those goals and said, this is perfect. I've got fodder for my adventure, right? If I read a published adventure or a pre-published, as we've learned from Jim the Linguist, I can say the word pre, <laughs> I can say pre-published and I not feel, not feel bad about it. Um, so if I run a pre-published adventure, God, it feels good to say that again. Anyway, <laughs> if I do that, I get, to, um, I get to see, should I add in any of those goals? In here, or if I if I look at that that adventure in the back of the book and go, huh, this one doesn't seem like it's going to fit my characters, my group's goal, right? So the group has a goal. I don't know if this will fit. Ooh, what if the person who is going to approach them on this potential mission knows about their goal and just is going to double cross them? Ooh, that could be cool, right? I could pull Mr. Johnson type of move. So. It, it gives me stuff to work with and to, to think about. And it also forces your players to have, what is it you're doing here? Right. And um, they spend enough time on it that I think it's, it's important in the, in the system. So I'm interested to see how it plays out. And if nothing else, because 5e has that, yes, it has, um, you know, like your boons and different type of stuff in it for my group. D&D 5e, that extra piece tends to fall by the wayside. Hmm. And 
I, I don't know if it's because there's no mechanic tied to it or where whatever, but my I believe it's because we're playing D and D. We already know how to play D and D. I don't need that <laughs> or whatever. It's just, it's like ignored. And much like you and I said, I've got <clears throat> thirty plus years of Dungeons and Dragons experience. I tend to you, you merge and you you know whatever the case is. But one of the things that's going to happen here, I believe, is much like when I play Call of Cthulhu, the character sheet. People start looking at it. It's a new game. They're going to look at it. And they're going to see this thing that says group goal, characters goals, and that's going to help drive. Much like when I play Gumshoe, I said, do you see this thing? That basically, you know, what's your reason for doing this? What's your driver? Why you? Why won't you go downstairs? Well, I don't want to die. Mm, no, it says must experience the unknown. Ah, you're right. Give me a flashlight, Brett. I'm going down. You know, that, those things to keep you moving? This is some of that stuff. And those individual goals, I think, are wicked cool. Make sense? Why wouldn't you implement those <clears throat> into D&D or D&D? I totally. I'm, I'm absolutely thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I like it. I, that's one of the other reasons I want to play this is I want to see, wow, do I really like this? Um, and from a mechanics perspective, what pieces or parts can I steal for other stuff I want to do? Now, one of the things I want to talk about was something I, I found that I don't like. Hmm. And I've read, I've read, um, I've got the extra monster book and um, some adventure books and the advanced player's guide. And I picked out the advanced player's guide. Like, Ooh, this will be cool. Get that. And they have dwarves. Ooh, that's neat. They got dwarves. That's kind of cool. And the way they have dwarves, they're not like these short squad bearded folk. These are like these bald headed skinny tattooed people with their own weird language it's it's a different take it's a it's a different take the whole it's a very simba room approach and i appreciate it and i like it they uh, rewrote it type of thing from my in my point of view i really appreciate it what i don't like that they did was you could be a troll now like mm. oh don't do that that's a monster class <laughs> oh you've got more data on elves now oh no 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 I believe when I run this, I'm going to run it with the core rules for my players. That That's it to start with. I'm not going to add in the other stuff. I bought it for the lore, and I thought, boy, if we really like it, I might add this in there. And I got to thinking, I'm like, you know, what would be more fun for me anyway, and I think my group will, will dig this too, is as they learn more about elves, and I read that advanced player's handbook as another piece of lore, and I'll sprinkle that in there as I need it or changes as necessary, whatever I do. I want to introduce dwarves. Ooh, let's read the dwarf piece. Introduce the first dwarf. They're going to be like, wow, that is fucking weird. That's crazy. That's alien. That's different. And if we play it and they are wowed and they have a good time and they want to do it again, and I say, well, you guys learned enough about dwarves in the last adventure. I'll open up the dwarf race for you to be. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I could be a dwarf this time. Or I could be an elf. Yeah, you guys had that big adventure with the elves where you learned a lot about them. Basically, using the lore and the more they choose to look at it and adventure and dig into different aspects of the world, the reward is I'm going to crack open the advanced player's guide and dole out some more goodies. <laughs> it's kind of as if it's like an, instead of an experience point system, like, you know what? I'm not going to let you have this right out of the gate. If you experience enough of the lore that it's that you're ready, yes, I'll open that up to you. This is kind of, um, Matt Colville talked about this in one of his uh, videos about, about lore and people engaging in it. And one of the ways to make it important to people to engage in your lore is the adventure has to include it. Right. 
that that's where I kind of stole the comment of like, look, it, it can't be on your character sheet. Your character sheet doesn't have, you know, all the lore data, right? It's not just a simple die roll. Knowledge Arcana, <laughs> suck <laughs> <Yeah>. it, Brett. <laughs> but I want you to go out and to find something about the dwarves or the elves or dig into something about trolls and find out information about it because that's part of the story. That's part of the adventure we're on or whatever it is that's going down. Like, holy crap, we learned a shit ton about goblins. I bet that extra stuff in the player's handbook, I could crack that out now. Yeah, okay. So I think that'll be a cool, if it works out, where the players like it. From a campaign perspective, I think that's kind of, um, it's a fun way for me to reward the, the, the group. You done good, kids. You learned a whole lot about goblins. Here's the other, you can now be the super goblin race or whatever it is or <laughs> whatever the fuck is the thing I want to throw out there. I've got more goodies to add to it. Oh, you learned a lot about this new character class I brought up. Guess what? Next time you've unlocked the, you know, Mega Ranger or whatever is in there, you know. <clears throat> Mega Ranger, I know it's cool. But all right, I've gone on way long, dude. Sorry. Simbaroom, I guess half. now Brett's convincing <laughs> me to get it. I'm jazzed up about it, man. I mean, I I think this would be I think it'll be it'll be fun for my group. And I think, um, like I said, I want to run and adventure out of the back. Muddies the waters, though. You got rhyme, right? I do. I've got a whole bunch. Dude, I got so much shit, man. Whatever. I got plenty of stuff. <laughs> no, but when are you going to? Do you have a timeline? Or? So that, no, I don't have a timeline. That's the thing. Is I'm like, okay, when? When am I going to do this? I don't know. It's Greyhawk right now. What am I going to do, rhyme? Don't know. Would I do Simbroom before Rhyme? Maybe just to break it up a bit and go some totally non non Euclidean D and D on these guys, just to muck them around a bit, you know. Well, the way, I mean, if you do go that route and they don't jam on Simbroom, then you you've got the gears to change, right? Yeah, I've got I got shit in the wings, man. Right. You know. I don't know. Maybe I'll pick up the core book. I don't know. I don't know if I can actually find it. There's a lot of shit from Free League that you just can't pick up anywhere. Like you check um, Amazon. Amazon. Amazon it. Did you check it? Well, so like Forbidden Lands, you can't, the core? No, you can't find the core on Amazon. I'm it's like, not oh, on Amazon, it. no. Simbarum, uh, if you also look Modifius, um, sell yeah. Simbarum. Yeah. But you can find, I found the Simbarum core and a number of the other ones on Amazon. Yeah. So, I'll, so. we know their of course you're, you're, is, yeah. yeah. But so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't get me started. This is one of you. Uh, I was excited enough about the game, the setting, and got some PDFs, started reading, and I liked it enough that even though Free League can't fucking fulfill shipment, they don't know jack about logistics, <laughs> I'm like, this game is cool enough. I'm going to put my anger and rage aside about that frustration. Right. I'm still going to get the game. I'm, I'm going to get the game, even though they, they muck that up fine to the credit <laughs> to the credit they like I, I said it's been christ three plus months give yeah. me back my money and their products like, are just i'm and, i'm gonna have they, so much of their shit it's just gonna I'm be serious, ridiculous man, I, I said I, I told them i'm like i'm done give me back my money they went you got it same day done. yeah yeah back. i immediately took that money went out and bought some books right. i'm not kidding i have them on my shelf i went out and I'm like that's it i'm fucking buying books I went out to the uh, 
to different stores, tried to find stuff locally, couldn't. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll, I just got to order it up. So I found places I could get it in the States and I just ordered it up and I got them. Yeah. So we might complain about Free League and your logistics, but we got stock in your company. Like I got yeah. Tales from the Loop. I got the Adventure Supplement, the GM screen. I think. If nothing else, for me, know. the cool part about Simbaroom is that. Honestly, I'm glad I got into it before the 5e Kickstarter because I may have been too tempted and went 5e. I really wanted to learn a new system. I wanted to get something that was player facing. Um, it just it sang to me a little bit more. Just it feels like, ooh, this is gonna help Brett tell games the way Brett likes to. It'll help tell stories and um, game master the way I like to. Should fit my wheelhouse pretty well, and uh, I'm glad I bought it now because I like the lore. I like all the bits and pieces with it and so on. And I, I think if nothing else, even if my group doesn't necessarily like the system, I think the lore, my excitement about that and how they uncover things and figure stuff out, I think that will be enough that even if there's a hiccup or two with the mechanics, they're not going to care. I think the mechanics mm. really suck for them to not want to do this. There is something to be said about Playing D&D 5th edition and buying a setting that's not, it, it might not have been designed by Wizards and it might not be the IP of Wizards and playing 5e in that. Specifically when the game's setting is tied to the mechanics or it's all kind of one bundle, right? Yep. It would be like me taking Forbidden Lands and going, oh, Forbidden Lands is pretty cool. I'll run I'll run that in 5e or I'll take Raven's land and take the forbidden lands kind yep. of, you know, trade dress and tone and, and take it over to D and D. And I don't think that's always the best answer. And I, I'm glad that you decided not to do that. Although with some of these game supplements, like, you know, midnight, that'll be coming out. And, and with Simbroom, the fifth edition, if they just change some of the th like okay instead of you use the still you still use the same class archetype thing now instead of player facing and it's this target number you just use the fifth edition components yeah there could there could be some really there could be some cool synergy type of activity there depends sure. how you do it i think i mean I would be a fool to say that's a bad idea. I mean, I wrote Avalon and I made it for, you know, to be played with D&D. &D. It made sense. It's right. not only just a marketing thing, but I, I like I like D&D &D and I like playing it in Avalon. It's it's fun for me. Right. I think if nothing else, um, would I say, oh, boy, the Simber Room mechanics, oh, I should do Avalon and that. Oh, whatever. Don't yeah. know. That's so far down the road. I haven't even run this yet. But if nothing else, that it will be it'll be very interesting to to try again something totally different. You know, yeah, it uses the same dice, but it's going to be different enough, especially for my players and I, that it'll be a, a, a change to how we play together. And I think that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm also interested in it because it's one of the few games that's not really bent on the year engine zero. Year zero yeah, engine. God damn it. It is, year zero it is engine. not. Yeah. It so is not. It's... It's I wouldn't. It doesn't fall in the same basket necessarily as some of the other ones that do use that. Um, My understanding though, is this was this was written and designed long before that came out. Yeah, I read where it was. Somebody came up with it, 
and then they bought the property kind of thing. Yeah, Freely, Freely got a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and then they just developed it and enhanced it, um, which is not... It, which is similar to how Mark, Mark Borg kind of came about, mm-hmm. you know. So, well, and, you know, Tales from the Loop was from an art, you know, inspired by an artist, even though they still use the year zero engine. I don't know. It's just an interesting company. Wish they just had better logistics. God damn it. Yeah. I think the, uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting is like, you know, we, this is an English version. This Simbarum was not made for, English-speaking folks eradicate. It was designed, you know, a different language. Swedish. And well, Swedish, yeah. I don't know if the original... I believe it, I believe it was based on the uh, names of the folks <laughs> that yeah. I'm reading that are... The, For those the not in the know, f- Free League Publishing is our English pronunciation of their actual game company. It's like Freya Laga or something. So, I, and they're Swedish. And a lot mm-hmm. of their work has to be translated, like... You know, so I, we have the D and D, and then we send it to you know, and somebody in Italy translates the five E for D and D, and all the you know us and, Americans. And I, I'll tell you, man, I have read. Um, I, I'm a fan of Umberto Eco. He's uh, he's sure. now, now deceased, but Italian author. Um, Folk Pendulum. If you want, it's super Name of the Rose. I read Name of the Rose. Name of the Rose. Oh, the movie's actually actually fun too. The book's better. Oh, yeah, of course it is. Of course, of course it is. Goes without saying. But whoever did the translation here. Um, did a bang up job, quite frankly. Because um, Name of the Rose and the reason I brought up Roberto Echo is she wrote in Italian. I don't read Italian. Right. Don't speak Italian. I read them in English and I got it. Right. They're thick and heady and oh my gosh, lots of d- dense symbolism and blah blah blah. But this, from being a translated text in English, it's it's easy to read. Yeah. And that was one of the fun parts about the lore in here for me. And I guess that'll be my closing piece is that. The lore is, it's fun, it's tight, as I said, but it was fun to read. And um, sometimes reading lore feels like an encyclopedia slog. This did not feel like an encyclopedia slog. This felt like brief bits of history, some ideas, and it just, it felt cool. I felt like I was learning some fun stuff, Hmm. right? And it did not have that encyclopedic, like, read this, memorize this, there'll be a quiz at the end of the quarter. I didn't feel like that at all, so... I'm very pleased with my purchase, and um, this is gonna. It's on my short list. It's coming to the table, so I'm pretty happy. If we decided to run that, if you decided to run it sometime in like the next year or whatever, um, it may. I may be convinced to to dive in and run it in parallel, and we can rap about <clears throat> our excursions and running people through Simbaroom. I would cool, probably man. go the published route. I know they have a a campaign arc. Oh yeah. Yes, they do. So, they got, yep, yep, pretty heady one. I would probably go that route, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I got more crap coming. I'm yeah. gonna unload yeah. my shit. I gotta get rid of some of my five E stuff, which I'm gonna do. It's on my list. Like I say, I need to, I need that game. I need another game. Like I need to hold it sometimes. But I was, I was very picky. And I'm very glad I was because this is a good find. So. All right, there you go. Die roll two to four miscellaneous. You know, topics, gaming points we want to share with you. It's all Simba Room. Yeah, core rule book, print PDF, yeah. the whole bit. One of the cool things, if you go out to like Pinterest and such and you type in Simba Room art, you're going to find some great stuff. If you are a fan, if you are, have Netflix at all and you have seen the, the movie The Ritual, that was a Netflix exclusive about the guys going for a walk. I believe it's in Norway and they encounter some horrendousness. Um, I, 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 
I started reading this and look at the art. And I'm like, I'm going to take that movie. I'm going to make it an adventure. <laughs> so it just it feels like it would fit. Not only that, but I mean, it feels like it's a very Call of Cthulhu type of thing. But it just it feels like it would fit quite well. But there's a there's a pretty decent thriving community out there for Simbroom too. I was a little I'm like, huh? I've heard about it. You know, Aragon and others on the community have heard about it. Kind of cool. I wonder how how big is this thing out there? Holy crap! You know, it's. I did a, I, I did a Google, I did a Google search for Simbaroom fan sites, and there were two that came up in the top of the list. And one of them's last entry was last year. Mm. I don't know, November maybe. And then the one before that was another one, and they were in the top two. So if you're a Simbaroom fan and you want to blog, there is plenty of space because those aren't being kept up necessarily. Um but we, I look, got a, their official website. We'll provide that, and then the Reddit community, which Reddit is is good for lots of things. But if you're a role playing gamer and you don't peruse Reddit on occasion, you're missing out. Like, just go to your favorite game on Reddit, and they're gonna have all kinds of resources there for you. And yeah, I don't mean to say this is thick and thriving is a 5e community where you can't oh, sling sure. a dead cat without hitting the D&D community out there, right? It's just, but for a game that I <clears throat> found of by dint of accident, essentially, I didn't really know much about the game system or any reason why I would like it. I don't remember seeing an ad for it anywhere or anything, but kind of stumbled into it, basically. I was happy to see that there was enough printed material and people would posted pictures and just stuff. I'm like oh cool I because for me I could give a fuck if the last time the page was updated was last year that's fine by me I haven't even touched it yet as long as right? that stuff yeah as long as that stuff's good still I relevant yeah, yeah I didn't go back because it's been out since I want to say it came out in like 2016 like this isn't I don't for a while yeah it's like four or five years so it's not yep. just yesterday but yeah uh, interesting maybe some uh, list to get I don't know all right man oh, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, what are we talking about next week, Brad? We're going to talk about breaking the cosmology. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Oof. The cosmos. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Rasher's fault. So that's what we're going to talk about. Oh. Way to go, Rasher. <laughs> that's Jared. All right. Well, hey, if you, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in for the live taping of this show. Yeah, we appreciate it here on Twitch. Otherwise, if you see this on YouTube, give us a like and a subscribe. Uh, otherwise, you can find us in your favorite podcatcher of choice to find the flagship audio show of this. Appreciate each and every one of you. Every you right there. <laughs> otherwise, for Gaming and BS, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS produced with help from the following BSers. Chuck, Bob Fletcher, Roger French, Kevin Keneally, Tindrels, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mike Coleman, Miniature Master, Wayne Peacock, Chris Shorb, Michael O'Holland, Orcus Dorcas, Todd Sharp, Craig Shipman, Quigley Malcolm, Cole Cago, AWOL Trooper, Isaiah Aries Christian, Larry Hollis, The Duke in Purple, Jay Plata, Dollar Adventure Frameworks, Phil McClory, Aaron Coleman, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Ed Nyes, Daniel Garrett, Adam Grotejohn, George Sedgwick, Ghost GM, Jim Ingram, Rory Weston, Mike Hess Jr., Eric Tavola, Henry Newcomb, Hoos Carl, Melissa Bashinsky, Harrigan, Brian Rumble, Eric Avia, 
David F. Baylog, Christopher Lang, Michael Dinos, Jeff Goad, Corey Gonzalez, Mark Richmond, Niall Diamond, John Kayward, Perry Besor, Eric Jeppesen, Angus, Brian Kurtz, Robert Nemeth, Eric Salzweedel, Laramie Wall, Andy Hall, Howard Bishop, Craig, Ray Otis, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Ron Bishop, Larry Hout, Jared Rasher, Rich Wishon, Chad Gleyman, Jim Fitzpatrick, C.W. Mellencamp, Roger Brasslett, Dan LaValle, Sky, Pure Mongrel, Jeff Seifer, Jason Hobbs, Craig Huber, Andy Olson, Corey Welch, Mark Tasaka, Chris Steele, Joshua Wallace, Brandon Barnes, Eileen Barnes, Old School DM, Mirko Froelich, Aaron Ralia, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Curtis Takahashi, and Joe Swick. Hey, you interested in playing games with other individuals? Maybe trying a new game? Head over to gamingnbs.com forward slash games. It'll take you to a forum post and it'll give you more information there. Then you can sign up to run a game or participate in one. Check it out. Seriously. No, really. I'll wait. Come on. Come on, there's a link at the bottom of the show notes. Gamingandbs.com forward slash games. Yep, that's it. Yeah, what do you think? Cool, huh? All right. Well, hope to maybe play with you. All right. Otherwise, keep on gaming. This, this has, has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.